Hi and welcome to the Machine Ethics Podcast. This month I'm with Rob Wortham at Bath University. We're talking about the mind model that people have for robots, principles of robotics for creators, intelligence and doing the right things at the right time, autopilots, software as being quite unregulated, and some of Rob's research. You can find more podcasts from us at machine-ethics.net. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash machine ethics. Please enjoy the podcast. Um, hi, Rob. Um, if you'd like to introduce yourself briefly um, and what you do at Bath University, that'd be great. Yeah. So uh, my name's Rob Wortham and I'm a PhD student at the moment in my third year. And I'm part of the computer science department. And I'm interested in uh, robots and how they work and specifically um, how they interact with people and um, how, what's the nature of that interaction. So what I'm really interested in is the nature of interaction between human intelligence and machine intelligence, designed machine intelligence, and the kind of models that um, end up being in the minds of those people when they interact with the machines. Yeah, so it's kind of a, um, it's how people anticipate what they're seeing in the robot, almost. Yes, it's how, yes. Yeah, how it, they approach the robot. Yeah, so it's, it, you know, it, it's things like, um, how smart they think the robot is, uh, mm. how much thinking's going on in the robot, what's the capability of the robot, what's the objectives of the robot, what's, what's it been built for, what's it trying to do, mm. what, what kind of sensors does it have, is it seeing them, yeah. is it hearing them, can it see them move their arms, mm. um, those kind of things, and how aware of its own environment is it. Yeah. So, um, and, and those are things that people are pretty bad at being able to estimate. So yeah. we have a mind, a, 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 a mind model of a dog, for example. When we encounter a dog, we pretty much know what what a dog is, what it can mm-hmm. do. What that we know, for example, that it can smell very sensitively. We know that it can see its environment. We know it can hear. We know roughly how fast it can move. We know probably what it's thinking about. Probably food uh, or other dogs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we know we have a model in our mind of a dog. When we have meet a robot, we won't have any of that model. Yeah. Not only because we don't really encounter robots very much at the moment, and we will much more in the future. But also, robots are designed, so they're not all the same. Whereas, mm. you know, dogs are evolved, so all dogs are pretty much dogs. Yeah. Whereas all robots can be very different to one another. It depends what the designers decided to put into that yeah. into that machine. And also, I guess, uh, in a similar way, like if you anticipated something that looked like a dog, which wasn't a dog, you could probably, you know, something that you've never seen before, you mm. probably kind of use some of that knowledge that you um, possess mm. to make an assumption about that thing mm. whereas with robots there's such a plethora of different um, massively yeah. different capacities well all d- evolved animals yeah. have basically got those four same drives okay they're, they're going to fight or they're going to flee depending on what they, how they perceive a threat mm. um, they're going to need food and, and we'll include water with that. So they need, same as we do, they, you know, they need to eat and, and drink. Mm. Uh, and they need to mate. And, um, and they're, 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 um, their objectives are very egocentric, okay, to benefit themselves. Mm. A machine, on the other hand, can have very different goals. It's, it's, it's benefiting uh, not itself, but the person that designed the machine for some other objectives that the person has in mind who designed the machine. Yeah. So it's completely different. And, and then, of course, you've got this question about, uh, is it remotely connected to something? A dog is not remotely connected to anything, but a machine might be connected to the internet wirelessly. might be. Mm. It might be streaming the video. 
that's, that are coming from the cameras. It might be streaming the audio. It might be recording that information. Yeah. There it, might be a, there might be more intelligence remotely controlling the machine. Mm. So it, 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 you know that what you're looking at there may not be all that's going on. There's um, in Korea they have um, a law that says if you take a photo in public you have to have the sound on the on the phone. Oh right. So do you think that these sorts of things will come into um, what you're what you're looking at into robotics where there has to be a certain amount of um, explicit uh, knowledge shown on the machine that it's going to be recording. It's going to like you know lights or noises or or labels or. Is there sort of like an easy win there, or, or, or is it more difficult than that? I think there are easy wins, yes, yeah. uh, in terms of some very basic regulations for these machines. At the moment there's no regulations, there is a set of principles, mm -hmm. so there are these principles of robotics that were produced um, in 2010 by some academics, um, uh, lawyers, ethicists, different people got together and produce a set of principles. These are not the principles that you put into the robots. They're not like yeah. Asimov's principles. No. These are principles for the designers of the robots. Right. Um, and operators and everyone who's, all the humans who are, who are making that robot do what it does. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's great. Uh, one of the principles, which is the one that I kind of focus on, which is number four, is that the robot um, shan't be designed to be deceptive. So it's, it, so as you're saying, it should mm. be very transparent and plain what that robot's doing. So if it's recording, maybe it should have a big light that says I'm recording and which flashes away or, yeah. or it should tell you that if it has speech capability. Or, mm. um, so in some way it's making manifest what it, what it is and what it's doing. Yeah. At the moment, that those, um, those principles uh, are not really regulated. So they're would be if you're recording children for example then that would come under other types of regulation which which we sure. know about already yep. but there's no specific regulation for these for these machines the IEEE are working on a set of regulations for AI and autonomous systems mm. um, but again that's just uh, and the um, EU have some draft legislation which they is at a very very early stage which they're looking at yeah but no at the moment you can build a machine it can wheel around. Yeah, you might have to put a unless it's a trip a hazard or something. Yeah, then, yeah, then exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like this is nine volts, and you know, there's a standard a set of technology-based exactly things. So you have to have a CE mark on it, but that would probably be just that the plastic wasn't that flammable, or that yeah. the battery wouldn't catch fire, sure, or sure. just the, just things to do with the hardware. Not that it's um, you know beaming information about you elsewhere. No, yeah. exactly, exactly. Or trying to lead you off to somewhere where you don't want to go, for example, or give you disinformation. Um, so, um, the first question I usually ask people um, is um, a tricky one. What is artificial intelligence? Okay, to so, you. Okay, to me. Yeah. So first of all, we have to look at what intelligence is, right? Let's sure. just look at that and then, and then it gets easier. So intelligence is, uh, I, I, would, I would go for a very broad definition, which just says it's about doing the right thing at the right time. Mm -hmm. So a stone doesn't do the right thing at the right time, it just sits there in the sun, right? It doesn't yeah. actually move, it's inanimate. But a plant does do the right thing at the right time. It senses its environment and it, uh, it puts leaves out at the right time and it, uh, it moves its leaves towards where the sun is. You know, that's that simple uh, phototaxis, so it moves itself towards the sun. So I would say that a, a plant, a tree, would be an intelligent thing in that sense. It has no central nervous system, it has no brain, but it does behave yeah. intelligently. So th given that very broad thing, then 
Um, an intelligent agent is simply something that senses its environment. It has some internal objective or plan mm. for, for how it wants to uh, uh, change the world to its benefit. And uh, it, it has some ability to uh, interact with the world to, to affect that change. And then a robot is just a physically embodied. So agents mm. could, might just exist inside machines, inside computers. Um, they could exist on the internet, they're not physically embodied. But a robot is embodied as well, so it, has a, it physically interacts with the, with the world, um, arms and legs, sensors and so on. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see, um, in your mind, are lot, uh, most of these uh, robots um, embodied with the intelligence kind of on board? Or is it more of a, there's the instructions being sent to the robot and the robot's enacting those instructions? It's kind of a kind of, um, yeah, yeah. the robot is larger than itself or the robot is its self contained. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, early robots obviously had industrial application, you know, yep. ma manufacturing cars and so on. They're very, very powerful, very precise, very quick machines, completely unaware of their most of their environments if you got in their way if you got inside the cage where the robot was kept whilst it was welding cars together mm. it would just swipe you and, and kill you yeah. um, and those obviously had offboard uh, processing going on a big set of wires that would come from the machine to a big computer somewhere mobile robots now uh, because of the miniaturization of electronics um, are able to carry all of the necessary uh, compute capacity mm. and the bigger problem is probably power it's probably one of dragging the battery around with you mm. uh, that the power source would be the major major problem um, yeah. in fact that that kind of leads me on to say that the big problem really is not the compute side of things and the intelligence side of things but it is the physical embodiment that's really still where the challenge lies if you want to make a robot do something useful like make mm. your bed yeah then the really hard thing is making a machine that can push in, yeah, uh, yeah. material and into the bed and, and fold the sheets and, and make the bed and yeah. you know put the pillow into the pillowcase is probably a very difficult thing for a machine to do mm. um, it's not so much about the uh, the compute resources and the artificial intelligence side of things yeah so it's more than manipulation uh, with the real world and yeah that sort of side. and this is really why we're seeing social robots pr proliferate so mm. we're seeing a lot of companies selling social robots that mechanically are very very simple that makes them cheap yeah but what they are good at is all the social interaction with you so for example they can pick up on your tone of voice and the, the kind of language that you use mm -hmm. and can assess your mood from that <coughs> and then they can interact with you appropriately to your mood so they're socially a kind of socially aware there are machines that will do gaze tracking so they'll see where you're looking and then they'll follow so that they look in the same direction that you're looking. Which, of course, all of us animals do. <laughs> Dogs do it, cats do it, you know, and then that works cross species, doesn't it? Yeah. So if I look at something, you, I'll make the dog look at, look at something. Uh, but now these robots can do that. Right. Um, so the part of that sounds like understanding our, our own human um, nature before then embodying it into the robot. Because we well, I don't think they necessarily need to understand. They just need to mimic certain right. things, mm -hmm. cer certain behaviours. So it, the machine doesn't need to have any deep understanding of what it means to be depressed. It just yeah, needs to be able sure. to pick up, okay, this person is, is showing signs of from the way they speak and so mm. on, that they're in a low mood. And therefore, I will respond in, uh, uh, algorithmically in some way as, as if I have a deeper appreciation of the way that, that they're feeling. Yeah. Which, of course, is deceptive. 
Sure, because because you might think, oh, this robot really understands yeah. me. So this is where the ethics comes in. Yeah, it? exactly. Yeah, the yeah. robot, this robot really understands me. Look, yeah. it's 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 got its sad face on because it's seen my sad face. Yeah. But there is no deep understanding, contextualized understanding. Yeah. There is no ground grounded yeah. understanding of what it means for. for for, for, for a human to be in a low mood because mm. this is a machine that's just designed to sort of simulate yeah. um, that empathic response it isn't I mean it's a philosophical point about whether yeah, it's truly sure, empathic sure. or not truly empathic but I think with the current capacity of those machines yeah. you've got to say that that machine isn't having true empathy for you yeah. it's simulating that, that empathy well it's not simulating empathy it's simulating humans appreciate as, a, as signs of empathy yeah. rather than any, any uh, internal knowledge of yeah. that uh, yeah. but feeling. The, if it, if it yeah. speaks to you, then the language it uses would be language that may be tuned to yeah. be the right kind of language f- to, to speak to a person who's in low mood. Mm. And it might you know, exercise its cheer up the other person protocol or something. It's just... <laughs> yeah, or, or not, depending yeah. on who's designed it. Yes, know? exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, what what do robots think? <laughs> I, I noticed that you had um, um, a few publications recently, yeah. um, and one of the one of those titles really uh, struck me. Um, it's a good title. Yeah. I feel that I was just wondering if you could expand that that thought process. Yeah, out, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, um, so I, one of the experiments I asked people is the robot thinking, mm-hmm. uh, and people were pretty split on that. I, I think probably that's more about what what they think thinking is more than anything. For, for me, that, um, a robot does have a mind. It does have a, a com- computational device, which I would say is a mind, a very simple mind. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at the, the mind of an ant, for example, it's very, very determined by the, by the genetics. Um, right. an, an ant learns very little during its lifetime, if, um, but it's able to to interact with the world much like a very simple robot is able to do that mm-hmm. um, and I think you would have to argue that a, an ant has a has a kind of mind as Dennis Dan Dennett says the philosophy you know there are different kinds mm. of minds um, so first of all I would say that the robots think yep. but what I would say is that the depth of their thinking isn't isn't the same as the depth of human thinking um, having said that not necessarily humans don't necessarily use a lot of thinking that much of the time Right. A lot of we, a lot of what the way we behave is is uh, very programmed responses that don't require a lot of active thought, um, mm. but do require a lot of computation. So when I walk, I have to balance my body. Yep. Uh, I have to not bump into things. I can do all of that while I check my phone. So my conscious attention is on my phone, but actually, the subsystems in my in my body are enabling me to walk along. Actually, out the corner of my eye, I can avoid people. There was some research done on that recently. The people mm. who are looking at their phones don't bump into people on the street. Their peripheral vision allows them to be able to identify obstacles and, and avoid them. Yep. Um, so there's a lot that goes on that you're completely not consciously aware of. And that's the same in, in a machine. Right. Um, so what do the robots think? Well, they. what do they think? <laughs> That's an interesting question. I guess what goes on is a set of, is, is processing, right? What is thinking? Yeah. Thinking is about is processing information and, and yeah, making and decisions based on that processing. And, and doing the right thing at the right time. And doing the right thing at the right time, as I said, yeah, that's what intelligence really is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, cool. What, what other proje uh, projects have you done um, in relation to this kind of um, idea of transparency with the robots? So um, we built this small robot, which has a, a very simple Darwinian type of a mind, just determined by its programming, by its uh, by the designer, with very little learning going on. So a bit like the mind of an ant. Uh, and we we um, just allowed people to encounter this robot. Um, we did we did that first of all. We did it online by videoing the robot, and, and people could watch the video. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we did it uh, in the uh, science centre in Bristol, which is a, a place where people go to learn about science and take their kids along. Yeah. It's a very practical kind of is that thing. The at Bristol. Uh, at Bristol. At Bristol. Yeah. Yeah. At cool. Bristol. Um, who were fantastically helpful actually with my research. So okay. yeah, hats off to them for being so so helpful but um, so what we did is we, we, we just show people the robot and then ask them some questions and then we showed them the robot alongside a graphical display of the processing that was going on inside the machine as it was as it was operating so just the decision processes really uh, this very simple little block diagram display of, of, of and, and when the robot was uh, actively doing something that little block the relevant block would light up to a very simple display and then we asked people the same set of questions and compared the two the two groups to see how accurately the, the model in their mind that they'd formed about what the robot was doing and what its capabilities were mm. uh, matched the actual capabilities uh, and um, functionality that's inside the robot that was really interesting the most interesting thing I thought I mean, their, their, their mental model massively improved when, when you showed them the, the graphical display. Right. But they didn't know that it had. And that, for me, was really interesting. So in both groups, about 80% of people said they understood what the robot was doing. Right. In both groups. But in one group, very broadly, they were half as right as in the other group. Okay. So they, we, we scored their responses. And the, the yeah. group that had the graphical display got twice the score. As the group. It still wasn't brilliant, actually. Yeah, yeah. But it was, it was, it was twice as good. Mm. Um, so, I think that was really interesting because it just mm. shows you that people don't necessarily know that they don't know. Yeah, what's going on? With what's going on? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we did that, and then mm. uh, we went back a few months later and did a subsequent study where this time we got the robot to generate sentences. So the same data feed was coming out from the mind of the robot, exactly the same feed. Mm. But rather than presenting it graphically, uh, we turned it into sentences, it's very simple sentences. Yep. Um, just saying what the robot was trying to do at that point. Yep. And, um, Can you give us some examples? Uh, yeah, so, um, like um, yeah, so, so if, when the robot is just um, uh, moving around the environment, mm -hmm. it would say R5 is trying to explore. Right. R5 was named the robot, so it just keeps saying, mutter in a muttering kind of way, over and over again, R5 is trying to explore, R5 is trying to explore, you see. Right, okay. And then when it encounters an object, yep. it would say something along the lines of R5 is avoiding obstacle. Yeah. And then when it avoided the obstacle, it would say, uh, R5 has avoided the obstacle, and yep. then go back saying R5 is trying to explore. So that's really all that the mind was thinking. Yeah. It wasn't thinking anything else. There wasn't anything else going on. Yeah. So it wasn't mapping the area. It wasn't making a map. As some, a lot of people thought it was making a map. You know, inside. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. Um, uh, it wasn't. It wasn't really sensing humans at that point. Yeah. So it had a heat sensor on the front, and when it got quite close to people, it could sense the heat coming off their bodies. A bit mm -hmm. like a, 
the sensor does on a, on a, a, a building um, security system. You know, when you go into the building, yep. a little light lights up in the corner. Uh, it's sen um, PIR sensor. Yeah. 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 So it senses sensed your heat. So I had this yep. little PIR sensor. So when it sensed heat, yep. it would stop and then it would um, scan up mm -hmm. and down to check the heat signature and it was looking for the, if the heat signature is actually changing okay so the idea was that you waved at the robot and your hand was moving across and so it could detect that you were waving at it yeah and if you did do that then it would it would it would tell you it was detecting a human it would tell you it had detected a human mm -hmm. flash a green light if it detected a radiator not a human <laughs> it would flash a red light right and then it will turn around and go and find some more humans. Yeah. It was very so simple. It, so, so the robot was, was literally saying to you the steps in the action selection mechanism of the machine as it yeah. was doing that. Yeah. That's, that's really nice because I think it's, um, it's, it's somewhat sophisticated in mm. a way that it mm. can detect things. Mm. Um, but it's, it's actually communicating it in a very simplistic way. Yeah. That people can understand. Yeah. Um, so, so I had this idea that perhaps when you first get a robot, let's say yep. you have a new domestic robot in your house, mm -hmm. which would have to be more sophisticated than this machine that, that I built, uh, maybe you could turn on the muttering and it would constantly just tell you what it was doing. And that yeah. would be very irritating after a while once you, yeah. so you could just tell it to be quiet and it would stop. But if yeah. at any point you were a bit confused about what it might be doing, yeah. you could just tell it to turn that mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. yeah. And if you were confident that all that was going on was reflected in what it was saying to you, yep. then it would become like a transparent thing. It becomes less like a person that has hidden mm. motives and hidden objectives and so on, and much yeah. more just like a machine that's very transparent. So you wouldn't wake up during the night and um, hear it muttering over you? Saying, yes, that's right. <laughs> like, yes, that's right. Kill owner, kill, kill owner. owner. Kill. Oh, um, looking for knife. Exploring. R five is looking for a knife. Uh, yeah. R five is <laughs> turn the lights off. And, um, I, in, from my world of um, web design and uh, online stuff, yeah. it sounds like looking at the logs, right? It looks yeah. like. Um, yes, that's right. That sort of pretty behavior. much. That's yeah. that's really what's well, that's that's kind of what's happening. Yeah. So. I think the key thing is that it's it's another mechanism that's bolted onto the side of the thing making the decisions. Yeah. It's not part of the decisions of the machine to decide what it's going to say to you. Yeah. So it's kind of on, it's like kind of a window onto them. the yeah. side. So yeah, as you yeah. say, exactly like mm. doing something with a log file that's coming out of a web server yeah. or any yeah. other piece of software. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's really interesting. I think the the for me the initial uh, element there is just getting people to do it you know how do we actually get these um, um, th sorts of things to be required by, yeah. by makers or or just um, a good thing to do because um, for even web designers or, or developers of software or things like that um, it's not a requirement that you do anything really no, no. so uh, doing things for the logs um, or doing um, useful things for users is more of a um, it's detrimental to the user, but it's not detrimental to money making necessarily. So, um, as a yeah. big manufacturer, yeah. um, making these things, they might overlook the sort of things because it costs them money to implement. Yeah. It takes time, yeah. um, and it's not necessarily actually uh, making it more useful. Um, yeah. Actually, absolutely. Um, so, well, there's, there's a big, uh, you know, open this up a little bit yeah. wider and talk about ethical robotics in a much broader sense. If you say that these machines that we're, we're making should be tools and useful tools for mm -hmm. us. Now, 
I mean, a useful thing is entertainment. Okay, so that that's fine. Sure. But if you build a robot that's kind of needy, a robot that starts to need your your input in order to function, you spend a lot of time worrying about the robot and whether you've made it happy or whether you, you know whether it's charged up or if it's gone flat, and you start to worry about the robot. Yeah, Tamagotchis, I think they were called years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's like the absolute antithesis of something useful it's something which actually just burns your time yeah. and you, you worry about it and little kids would worry that something bad was happening to their tamagotchi when they went on holiday yeah how is that helpful really and if we start to build social robots mm. that are doing that kind of thing how is that really a, a useful contribution yeah so i'm firmly of the opinion that the robots need to be considered to be tools and uh, to have all kinds of useful applications, but as I said earlier, mm. it is hard to build a robot that makes the bed, which would be a useful thing. Yes, yeah. Or um, accurately picks things up off the floor for an old person so they don't have to bend down mm. when they drop something, or just pick something up off the floor for them. But much easier to build a wheeled base, low cost, just wheels around, has an mm. LCD screen with a face painted on it, and then mm. it interacts with you socially and just chews up your time and attention. Yeah, uh, and that's that's why manufacturers will not particularly be incentivized to build useful and transparent machines. They just want to sell units. Yeah, it's a bit like I, I think a lot of social media, which just burns a lot of time fairly unproductively, mm. um, and it's addictive. Yeah, you know, yeah, it presses yeah. our buttons. It yeah. it, it, it hyper stimulates us, and it presses all of the right buttons in our heads to make us want to keep checking it and keep. Yeah. You know, it's like news feeds. You know about dis temporal discounting of information. So that's the. So when you're hunter gatherers, mm -hmm. it would be good to know where the food was, mm. uh, quick, so you can chase after it. And yep. it would be really useful to know uh, where the lion was that was coming to eat you pretty quick sure so if you knew about that if you were the last person to know about that probably not much help because the yeah. line would probably be going to have you so that's why we do gaze tracking so if someone else has seen something interesting yeah. you are able very accurately to, from their from their eyes to see what they're looking at and that's for the reason that's 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 the reason so you don't want to be the last you want to be the first or close to the first so information that's old is much less valuable than information that's fresh or new and that, right, that's right. kind of biological programming yeah. so that's called temporal discounting of information that's why when your phone goes ding you think i must know what that is i'd like yeah. to be the first in my social group to know about whatever the thing is i can put it as a post to other people on facebook or i can tweet it before anybody else tweets it yeah that's a kind of addictive because it's just it's just pressing on that mechanism that we have evolved in us yeah. and finding a, a, a new use for it but it not, doesn't necessarily benefit us mm. it benefits other people yeah, yeah. the advertisers the advertisers yeah the people running yeah. the social networks the advertisers all yeah. those people yeah mm. yeah so that's that 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 that's the concern that's so the we, concern we, about we building should, a machine that would do that exactly yeah so we shouldn't take that uh, notion through into uh, machines which are then going to be physically embodied in our homes or factories or, or whatever yeah um, cars um, planes just wherever wherever we are I guess. wherever we are yeah yeah shop the shopping place shopping experiences as well yeah you know, we've got online shopping already, which, you know, other people that bought this also bought these other things. Sure. 
but maybe yeah. in physical shops you can have robots you, know? you look great in that says the robot yeah <laughs> thanks well you could say it's no different to the sales assistant saying you look great in that because that's you know that's yeah yeah well at least i can but, look them in the eye and see how um, yeah and that comes back to the theory of mind you've exactly. probably can tell if they're lying yeah more you've got more chance or you've at least got some way to calibrate your trust yeah so given actually your log or transparency uh, thought process maybe yeah. we will have a lying symbol come across so it's like you look you look lovely in this that. is an insincere robot exactly this that was a lie yeah. we just need some way to be able to calibrate our trust in these things just like like just like we yeah. do you know yeah. you trust a bank teller with your information sure. much more than you would trust uh, a, a, a supermarket shop assistant because you know the consequences for mm -hmm. the, the bank teller are very, very high, very serious, blah, blah, blah. So yeah. you calibrate your trust in terms of the, the privacy, of the kind of information that you give to people. So we understand that in the physical world. Yeah. Um, but in the cyber world, you know, um, people have trouble. I know that um, uh, I have elderly relatives who are really unsure. Can I type my credit card into this website? Yeah. Is this a real website or is this a scam? They can't really tell what's a scam and what's real. Yeah. Uh, when they get letters through the post, they, they find it very difficult to... to yeah. uh, and I think it's just because everything's changed so fast. Mm. So this is another step in that. This is just an embodied, a more embodied experience. Yeah, you, uh, I mean, when I was um, looking at some of your work, um, I was struck by how interesting that kind of transparency idea was, and also how that applies to lots of different robots with different types of uh, functionality and um, uh, yeah, kind of interaction. So um, it's really interesting how you that if you had one type of robot that existed it would be quite a simple implementation yes. um, kind of exercise but given that there's lots of different things and they will continuously be upgraded and improved it's going to be interesting how that kind of plays out across the platform yeah. of um, these different types yeah. of uh, robots and their different uh, yeah that's a, I mean a good point and we see that now we you know you have a mobile phone in your pocket which is mm. a kind of robot um, and of course the software on that gets upgraded and you just always click OK because you want the latest software mm -hmm. for some good sensible reasons like security and yep. so on. But you don't know. It changes each time. Yeah. Uh, so the same thing the same thing will happen with these kinds of machines. You'll download, you, when you buy them, they have a certain set of capabilities. And as you say, that will upgrade and change, mm. change over time. Yeah. I think there was a really good um, example of this. I think we talked about a couple of um, episodes ago with the Tesla, because mm. the Tesla cars actually you can opt in for them to upgrade as you go. Right. So certain models um, are are young enough um, to be constantly upgradable, and with those upgrades, um, you know, via Wi-Fi or whatever, um, come new new experiences, new functionality. Mm. Um, but you have to um, then be educated of what that is. So um, the autopilot has just changed and it's got better in these ways. Um, how does this affect you? And you need to basically have a, an educational video about, you know, the, the new way you have to interact with your car wow. each time. Yeah, yeah. Each time this happens. And um, being not a Tesla owner, unfortunately, um, 
I, as far as I know, that doesn't happen, right? So you have to read the TCCs each time, or you have to read some information each time. You don't necessarily get that educational bit. Yeah. Um, with each new improvement to the experience, um, so I think that's quite interesting. And as also, well. if you if you were a, a, a if you were fortunate enough to be a person who drove multiple Teslas for some reason or other, sure, yep. Uh, and if you just widen that a little bit and say there's lots of autonomous cars, but with all different capabilities, when you got into your autonomous driving machine, yeah. you wouldn't know how autonomous it was, at what point you were supposed to take control, at what point. Yeah. So I think the idea of reading the manual mm -hmm. is not good enough. Yeah. Uh, it needs the machine needs to be transparent. And, and tell you everything that you need to know to be able to interact with that machine in a safe way. Yeah. Uh, the days of saying, well, you didn't read the manual or you didn't read all the terms and conditions, yeah. it doesn't really, it's not enough, is it? It doesn't. Definitely, it, definitely. Yeah. So how do we, how do we move forward from here? Um, given the experiments that you've done, um, the projects that work on, is, yeah. is there the next step sort of thing that you're working on at the moment or, or going to look at in the future? Ah, well, um, what I'm actually doing at the moment is uh, trying to write up all the stuff I've done yep. and then put it all together and, and then write my thesis and get my PhD. Nice. So that's really what I'm, what I'm going to focus on in the next year. Mm. But I think um, more broadly, it would be great to see some initiatives from industry to set some standards some, some, uh, about things like how transparent is a machine. So you could still have opaque machines, but at least people would know that they, are, you know, they have a transparency score of zero or something, yeah, yeah, and they, sure. could, they could calibrate their trust appropriately to them. Or we could have more transparent machines that you could trust more. Mm. So maybe some kind of scale would be a good, would be a good thing. Yeah. Uh, and maybe some independent assessment of these machines. So in the way that to get a CE mark, I'm sure you have to be have some sort of assessment of the design of your product and submit mm. a sample and all of that kind of thing. Um, maybe some kind of scheme like that where people would award it some star rating or something like that. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, the European legislation about uh, cars, um, which I think ethically is somewhat problematic, is that you the car you sue the car. Yeah. So the idea is that um, if the car causes an accident, then you sue the car. Right. The car has to have its own insurance policy, mm -hmm. and then that insurance policy pays out. Right, yeah. Okay, this would mean that insurers would all of a sudden become very interested mm. in the capabilities and capacities of the car. Yeah. So they might start to say, well, we're only going to insure these vehicles if mm. they meet certain standards. Yeah. Yeah. And that might be a way to start to give these standards some teeth commercially. Mm. So yes, you can build whatever car you want, but oh, you can't get insurance for it. If it's not insured, you can't run it on the road. Yeah. So Therefore, it has to be built to a certain standard that the insurer is prepared to insure it for. Yeah. So that's the positive side of it. Yeah, I think we, we had uh, Matthew Shannon on um, a couple of episodes about um, insurance um, specifically. And I think that's a whole big kettle of fish right mm. there. Yeah. Um, and it's to do with that, um, you know, what are the different capacities, um, compatibilities of the vehicles, uh, what are the vehicles doing differently from each other, Yeah. Um, and how is that uh, implementate. But you imagine jumping into a car, yeah. just to rewind a little bit to where we were discussing a minute ago, and not knowing what the capacity of this vehicle is. Yeah. I mean, previously to that, you could always drive a car, it has gears and 
it drives are you driving it yeah and and, and now all of a sudden they've all got different capabilities it's well, a I think very problematic for world. my uh, you know from my vantage point um, having talked to some people about this I feel like there there does need to be some sort of um, base level mm. um, and for me the easiest way of doing that is going no there is only one autonomous car there's, there's only one person who's who's making this car in the UK who's allowed to use it and it does this and I feel that's I mean that's the easiest way of doing it if we have tens of different autonomous yeah. vehicles I think that's going to be yeah, for me um, I think the graduation of autonomy yeah. uh, is the problem I think either you're driving the vehicle yeah or you're not expected to drive it and at I, all I think that's where we should be before yeah. we talk about it yeah I think it's just out of your control yeah the yeah. yeah so Google their initial idea was to build cars with with no steering wheel yeah, yeah. Uh, and whilst you might want one for some kind of other reason mm -hmm. you, you probably want that as, as being the minimum standard for a self-driving car it is self-driving it doesn't yeah. need you could drive them around without people in them yeah 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 definitely and yeah. That, that that then means that the person is absolved from this very gray area of responsibility about in what sense am I driving mm. the car and in what sense is the AI driving and the car and that would make it easier for the insurance problem as well because yeah. then you wouldn't have that muddy ground of the person, some of those cars, like the Tesla, for example, the person is required to take control mm. at certain mm. points when on autopilot. Mm. And, and having all these different types of scenarios yeah. makes it very difficult. Uh, it's unreasonable to expect a person to monitor something that's autonomous for long periods of time. Especially if it isn't transparent. Yeah. As well. Yeah. Yeah. But airline yeah. pilots tell me this, that... You know, they sit in a, in, a, in, a, in a plane for many hours at a time whilst the autopilot flies the plane. Yeah. They're not really aware of exactly what's, what's going on, how the, how the plane is being flown. They don't have their hands on the control. They're not in the loop of the control. Yeah. And then if something goes wrong with the autopilot, they have to rapidly mm. get in the loop yeah. and re-establish re their control. And they say that's really difficult to do because they're not part of... They're not part of the total control loop and then all of a sudden they're supposed to jump into it and then assume control yeah uh, and you can't expect them to sit vigilantly uh, for to try and notice exactly what's going on so for example in a self-driving mm. car you couldn't expect them to sit there like a passenger constantly looking out for pedestrians or vehicles you know yeah just in case the machine doesn't notice one of them it's mm. too much yeah too much to expect a human to be able to do that yeah and it's unfortunate because um, if we were better, uh, if humans were different, then, mm. then you would. But knowing what we know about human psychology and attention and yeah. all sorts, yes. uh, um, and just uh, sensory world, we, we just can't do that. That's yeah. just, it's not possible. It's not possible, no. Um, so I've got a, a bit of a strange question here. Uh, neural nets or genetic algorithms? Let's just very rapidly just go through what that. So yep. a, a, a neural network is, is something which is trained um, on a lot of historical samples of data yep. in order that it's effectively predictive. It's learnt some sort of complicated transfer function between a set of input variables and a set of output variables mm -hmm. across a large number of samples. Yep. And then when you put a novel input in, it's able to predict what the correct output would be. Right. Um, so, and then normally those networks are trained, and then when they're actually run in production, they're not trained anymore. Okay, so right. you have like a two-phase process, a process of training the neural network, mm -hmm. and then a, a phase of operating the neural network. Yeah. 
there's a, the problem with them is that uh, the neural network can't really give you any dis, any narrative for the decisions that it's making. Yeah. So it just has inside it a set of nodes connected together with various weights. Uh, the, the amount of contribution that this part of the neural network is contributing to the the, the, the output decision and, and, and so yeah. on, positively or negatively. Yeah. So it's just trained based on the data and it, it can't give you a narrative. Mm. So for example, um, if, if you have that in a credit scoring uh, and it takes in all kinds of information about, about you, uh, um, your age and uh, your job status and your salary and whether you put a mortgage and all kinds of yeah. things like that. And then it says this person's a good credit risk or a bad credit risk. It can't give any narrative for why that is the case yeah. other than to say, I was trained on 10,000 samples of data, yeah. 100,000 samples of data of people, uh, and some were good and some were bad, and you match the bad ones more than you match the good ones. Sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, so that's a neural network. Uh, genetic algorithm is something which uses the, the idea of, uh, from, 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 from genetics, uh, of being able to make gradual changes over time and then mm. see whether those gradual changes are beneficial or detrimental. So what you need to do there is uh, 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 run things over and over again. Mm -hmm. uh, so, for example, uh, one of my colleagues, uh, his PhD was about uh, controlling um, an AI character in a video game. Mm -hmm. yeah. And he had a, a control strategy, which was a, um, a set of uh, a readable plan, actually, for how you would control this machine. Mm. I'm sorry, this, this little agent in this, in this video game. And you see what score it got. Yeah. And then you'd make um, a, a change. In fact, you'd make a whole bunch of changes to the plan yep. uh, to create maybe 20 variants to that plan. And you'd run those 20 variants again, each one of them, mm. see which one came up with the, the best score and maybe the second best yep. score. Uh, I can't exactly remember the details, but they'd take the top scoring ones. Yep. And then you'd combine those ones again. Uh, and you just keep going through that process and introduce some random mutations as well. Yep. So very much the same way that our... A DNA changes over evolutionary time mm -hmm. as a result of um, uh, mutation and natural selection. So, to do that, though, you need again you need you need lots and lots of repetition of that thing. Now, yeah. with, with an AI game, you can run it. You don't have to run it at human speed. You can run it a hundred or a thousand times faster than a human would play the game. Mm -hmm. You just turn the clock up and everything goes much faster. So overnight, you could run a million games yep. and lots and lots of it, a thousand iterations and, and, and you can learn. If you put that technology into a real robot interacting in the real world, obviously it, mm. it, it can't live a million lifetimes in order to gather enough data to be able to, to do that. And so um, whilst neural networks can be, can be great and genetic algorithms could be great for things which which you can repeat over and over again very fast. Maybe that's yep. image recognition. You know, sure. recognize a horse or recognize a cat or a dog or a person or something, mm -hmm. and you can show it a million pictures and, and, and get it to train it on that mm -hmm. network. Very difficult with something like social interaction because you can't give it a million social interactions. There's not enough time in yeah. the world, right? Because it, it, social interactions only happen with humans at a certain yeah. rate. Or, or you could, if you had a million different. If you had a million robots. If you had a million robots. Yeah, then, that, that, that yeah. would that would that would. I feel like um, the Google Home project and yeah. Alexa, uh, Amazon Alexa, and things like that. Yeah. They are the million robots. To they me. are. 
um, and although they are being trained effectively on, on voice um, yeah. are not on expressions or anything like that mm. so, so it's a limited so the lower levels are incredible I mean voice recognition technology is amazing now I, I don't really type texts anymore I just dictate them right. and I have an iPhone so Siri yeah. gets that incredibly right it's very very good yeah. even with reasonable levels of background noise and me mispronouncing things and it just seems very good. So yeah. the lower levels they've got sorted. The higher levels. Mm -hmm. So what's the, what's the semantic implication of that? What's the meaning of my sentence? Yeah. What do I actually want you to then action? And, yeah, and exactly. Requires so much more context, and that that's hidden context. It's not in mm. my speech. It's in an understanding of the world. That context. Yeah. Uh, understanding of my situation and uh, all kinds of other things that would that that you through your common sense would know. That I, yeah. that I wanted yeah, yeah. Um, but the machine wouldn't necessarily know all of those things and uh, uh, quite hard to learn all of those things not impossible but, yeah. but much much harder to, to learn those things so whilst, whilst we're really good at classifying images and doing video and object tracking and all of that clever stuff that we can do with video streams yeah. we're good at audio as you go up those layers it becomes increasingly more, more difficult to, to make sense of the world because the information's not there yeah. So I spoke to some guys at Oxford who were, who were working on a project, a social robotics project. They'd spent three years. It was a big funded project. Mm. Um, and uh, they were going to have the robot interact with people mm -hmm. and then learn, based on those social interactions, how, yeah. to, how to react appropriately. Right. How to get the machine to, for example, how near should a robot be to a person when it interacts with them. You know, if it comes yeah. too near, makes the person back away and so on. Yeah, yeah. Just, just as an example. And what they told me was that they couldn't get enough data to get anything to learn from that data. Right. And I said, well, that's because all of that really, really complex stuff about how we behave socially is encoded in our brains. Over millennia. It's been encoded. Yeah. You need a planet. Yep. You need evolutionary time. Mm -hmm. And you need millions and millions of individuals. And then all of that gets codified. And that's a kind of base point. That, yeah. And babies are born with it. And it develops now it's fine-tuned by our human interaction but in terms of nature and nurture yeah a huge amount of it comes from the nature and it's fine-tuned by nurture yeah so um, a guy called Mark Hauser wrote a book about this um, a book was called Moral Minds I really like this book mm -hmm. uh, it basically says that we have a mechanism in our heads which makes moral decisions it's tuned by our, by our culture yeah a bit like Chomsky's um, universal grammar so it's tuned by, by the particular culture that you're in, the words that you use are tuned yeah. in the same way as the, some of the moral decisions you make are tuned by the environment, but you have this very fast acting mechanism. Mm -hmm. He did, did experiments, these trolley experiments, um, where you just pose ethical dilemmas to people and yeah. found that they make decisions which are far too quick for them to have thought through cognitively from first principles. So they make a decision very quickly mm. within maybe 100 milliseconds about what's ethically um, obligatory, permissible yeah. or prohibited. And then two things happen following that decision. One, that an emotional response happens, so outrage perhaps or mm. anger or um, you know, perhaps some more positive emotions if, if they feel the right decision has been made. Yep. Uh, and then a narrative happens and that narrative is their explanation for why this decision is right or wrong Right. and that narrative varies completely widely by culture right. maybe it, it may be a religious based narrative 
or some other kind of narrative, depending on the culture of the of the person and where they've come from. Yeah. But he's arguing that that's not the reason for the decision. That's the, just the account that they give of the decision. Right, the decision right. itself is coming from a, a very fast-acting, pre-trained mechanism that seems to be universal because the decisions that all peoples make mm. on the planet about what's permissible, what's uh, ob obligatory, uh, and what's prohibited are very much the same. Right. So things like how you should, you know, uh, physical violence towards individuals and that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, when it's permissible to push someone uh, into the path of something to save more more people, yeah. or whether it's possible to pull a lever remotely in order that maybe you kill one person instead of killing five, five people. Yeah. Those types of decisions seem to be universally agreed upon, even though the narrative reason for them. Mm. And some people don't even have a narrative. They just say, well, it's the right thing. I don't know why, but I just feel that's the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah. So actually, even though we say that we don't have universal ethics, what he's saying is that we might have some universality within maybe a lower level of ethical understanding. For things, yeah. For, for, yeah. But you know, that wouldn't extend to machines, for example, because we're not evolved to have any ethical decisions about how we should treat machines or how machines should interact with us mm -hmm. we don't have we, we're not evolved culturally or biologically to have any predispos ethical predisposition so for example in another project I've been doing I've been asking mm. people about uh, AI in warfare militarized AI yep. so autonomous machines making decisions about which targets in a, in a battlefield area to target uh, effectively who to kill yeah, sure. And the machines are actually able to make those decisions. We have those machines now. They're not, that's not theoretical. That's mm. practical machines. And they, so we, we've been posing these dilemmas to people and then asking them what they think. Yeah. And my hypothesis is that they don't have any clear predisposition about whether it's right or wrong. Because there are good things, it's kind of good things like you don't have to send your own troops to war, so you don't have to risk the lives of your own, of your own soldiers. You can, yeah. you can, you can, with impunity... Without loss to yourself, you can you can prosecute wars mm -hmm. um, or defend yourself. Maybe defend yeah. it. Maybe that's the other that's the other flip side of this. You know, if, if you have an aggressor, you can use your machines to defend yourself against the aggressor without yeah. having to risk anybody. Uh, and people don't have, seem to have any clear moral understanding. You know, no one says, "Well, machines in you know, autonomous machines in warfare is wrong." Yeah. But, for every person that says that, there's another person that says, well, no, I think there is a place for them. Right. So it's very interesting. So, so we're not attuned to think about these technological um, things that we're making in the same way that exactly. we might have exactly. instinctual reactions So, so we're not attuned, exactly. That's, yeah. that's really helpful. So, yeah, in the same way, we're not attuned to make decisions about whether socially interactive robots or companion ro robots for old people, for example, yeah. which is a... A, a, you know, a, 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 an area where manufacturers are moving into. Yep. Um, whether that is ethically a good thing or a bad thing, mm. there's no consensus, and there's no instinctual. There's no reaction. No, exactly. As exactly. Well. Yeah, that's um, that's really interesting. Yeah, mm. um, and it might take us a very long time to then build that um, base level. Um, ethical kind of reaction yeah. maybe thousands of years actually um, so what we're we going to do in the meantime 
Well, we do advance. I mean, cultural evolution can go much faster than biological right. evolution, right? Sure. And, and, you know, we, uh, ideas do evolve and so on. If you look at uh, the quality of our democracy, you know, in the 500 years and mm-hmm. um, the quality of the institutions that we have in society to... Um, if, you just, if you just take one particular issue, for example... Um, sexual orientation, you know, in mm. just a very sh- few short years, that has massively changed, you know, ethically what what's acceptable and what's not acceptable has changed dramatically yeah, yeah. in a very short period of time. So I don't think it necessarily needs to be, but there needs to be a debate, it needs to be out there, yeah. and and I think we need to hold manufacturers that, as you say, mm. before I think before you turn this thing on, there are mm. lots of people out there who've never thought about any of this. Some of those people will be building autonomous technologies if your interest is in machine learning and you're really interested in the maths of machine learning and how all of that works you're trying to build better and better mathematical models and that's really your thing and what you really want to do is to be able to absolutely know in advance whether Mm. someone is a good or a bad insurance risk so that you can set their premium absolutely spot on for that person yeah you may not have thought about the ethical implication of that yeah. which is that if we don't smooth this out over everyone all of a sudden insurance stops being insurance anymore because the way insurance works is that we all share that risk of the whole population some of us benefit mm. some of us don't but there's a there's, there's a smoothing out that happens yeah 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 uh, the, the guys who are just doing all the maths they're not thinking about that or maybe they're not thinking about all of that possibly possibly I think there was a, um, a quote that I saw um, which really struck me on that sort of uh, not thinking side of things uh, from Daimler the um, uh, the truck manufacturer yep. who also own um, I think maybe Ford as well um, and they were creating these autonomous um, big uh, trucks to 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 be using in um, America for haulage and they had made their first big autonomous truck and mm-hmm. were testing it and um, um, doing a big showcase. And one of the things they said was, um, you know, what if something goes wrong? What if um, something happens and things like that? And, it's, and their opinion was, you know, that's not for us. That's for everyone else to, to work out. That's for the right. insurers and the government. And actually, that sort of thought process is, is hugely uh, destructive um, and worrying for me. Um, yeah. That people can be, be so thoughtless in how they actually interact with the rest of the world in the things they make and the socially and, and, and it, all these different ways. Well, it's a huge step backwards, isn't it? Because within their factories, there are health and safety guidelines and so on. Sure, yeah. That they have to, so there are guards around all the, the machines and there's all kinds of rules and regulations that means that people that work in those factories don't get injured and don't get yeah. killed and, yeah. and are looked after um, and what they're saying is about well, now what we're going to do is we're going to take these machines and put them out there in society and if they kill people that's not our problem now yeah 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 until it is <laughs> until it is until it is yeah yeah, yeah. so we'll, we'll retrospectively sort it out yeah. you know when someone tells us off that yeah um, they're not they're not be, they're not saying we're the thought leaders on this and we're going to help everyone that you know and share and 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 all that sort of stuff yeah. and, and try and bring this sort of thing up yeah. um, and, and it's also happening so better. fast it's very difficult for mm. politicians and legislators to keep on t- keep on top of all of this have you have you talked to um, any legislators or any politicians who actually appreciate the speed and the technological change that is happening because i would i would hazard that very few of them appreciate um, the technology itself they might have an understanding of how 
um, Siri works because mm. they have it in the hand, mm. um, but but maybe not the implication of it. Exactly mm. the implementation, uh, the implication, and also actually the underlying technology. How do these things work? And ha given how these things work, how are we going to legislate against it? Mm. Um, no, I haven't. I haven't. But it is a, it is probably one of the few completely unregulated areas is software. Mm. You know, if you if you look at um, research into a genetics, for example, it's a highly regulated area. You, know, right. you have to apply to a, to an authority if you want to conduct an ethic, uh, some sort of genetics experiment, yeah. and um, all of that. You know, and if you're a psychologist and you want to do a, an experiment uh, with people, then you, you know, again, there's an ethics board to, to, to be interacted with. Yeah. But if you want to build a software product that does some cool thing with some sensors and you know, basically a robot, yeah, you can just build that robot and sell it. Yeah, there's no regulation. Yeah, we had um, uh, Cosma Gretton on this podcast, and she's a, a doctor. Mm. And from day one, they have this ethical code beaten into them right. to do with um, medicine and, and the Hipp Hippocratic oath yeah. um, and things that they have to adhere to, um, which um, technology, like you're saying, doesn't necessarily have yet. In a similar way, um, just basic stuff. Just basic. Don't you know? Don't do bad things. You know. Yeah, I mean, um, professional engineers who sign up to institutions, you know, like the mm. British Computer Society and the um, Institute of Engineering Technology, those kind of things. I'm a member yeah. of both of those organisations. You know, they, they have a um, code of conduct for their members. Yeah. But they um, don't have... Um, but it's not specific. It's, it's not specific. It's not like the FCA or... or no. Something like that, which will come down... like a, a Not specific to an application yeah. domain. Sure. No, absolutely yeah. not. Um, okay, so I think we're getting to the end now. Okay. Um, there's two questions I'd like to, to, to end on, which I um, usually pose, is what things excite you about the future, and um, either the near future or, or the far future, and what things are uh, worrying you? I think we've probably covered some of those things. Yeah, yeah. What excites you at the moment? So I don't want you to think that I'm anti-technology or, sure. or anti-machines or anti-robots, yep. in fact. Um, I think with all powerful technologies, there are risks. Okay, so I would be quite in favour of nuclear power, for example, as a way of very cleanly generating very large amounts of, of energy. Yep. Fusion, obviously, there's like all yeah. hope that fusion works because that would be even better. Yeah. Um, but rather, but as opposed to build burning coal or burning fossil fuel generally, Gas it, coal, seem, it seems yeah. to, me, to me a much better idea. But there are huge risks with nuclear energy, so it needs to be very well regulated, very mm. controlled, and, and people need to be um, uh, very concerned about that. Yep. So, uh, for example, the, the, the nuclear non-proliferation and the limiting of nuclear weapons, for example, came mm. about because uh, humans all across the planet were absolutely mobilised about the, how dangerous all of this is, and that got into the minds of the politicians, and, and as a result of that, yeah. uh, it is incredibly well controlled, and we haven't had rogue nuclear weapons being fired at anyone. You know, there are lots of weapons out there, but it's, mm. it is, seems to be successful so far. Yeah. Not saying you shouldn't worry about it, but it seems to be successful. So I think in the same way we just need to say, well, artificial intelligence is an incredibly powerful technology, has many application areas. We just talked about robots mainly today, sure. but obviously there's lots of other applications of AI. Talked a little bit about social, net, social media and decisions being made about credit checking and financial decisions that affect your life. There's lots of things where, uh, and weapons and so on. Uh, so what's really important is that people understand that this is powerful and therefore potentially dangerous yep. and 
our institutions therefore take this on board and generate appropriate leg legislation frameworks the, the right kind of uh, monitoring organizations and so on to be able to just make sure that and we need something with a bit more teeth to control people uh, ma product manufacturers in terms of uh, what they can and cannot do. Yeah, we have data protection regulations, admittedly, but I think this this it's almost like the, the, uh, something to do with agency and manipulating people by having machines with agency. And, yeah, and that needs to be considered in a way that it isn't. So I'm very uh, bright and positive about the future. It seems yeah. like a lot of technologies are all coming together. A lot, you know, we've got miniaturisation of electronics, sophisticated software algorithms, uh, but we're also getting things like you know very high density batteries. Which means you can you can carry around a lot of power in a small um, physical size mm. and at a low weight, um, and there's lots of advances in materials, which means that you're more able to make make machines that, that could do useful things. I mean, I'd love to see a, a robot in your house that could do useful stuff, as I say, like make the yeah. bed, dusting. I don't think we've seen a dusting robot yet. Yeah. Um, don't just have to keep smiling and chatting at with you. Yeah, I'd I mean, like them to do useful things. Those are the easy wins, though, aren't they? Um, I, I, there's, embarrassingly, there's um, something that I always tell people about my ideas about you know when people talk about losing their jobs to machines. Yeah. I think it's easy to lose your marketing job or your accountancy job to machines because they don't have to have uh, physical embodiments yeah. for those things to work. Yeah. Um, but you know cleaners and things like that my daughter's a midwife and I think that's midwives, just about one of the last yeah. things that's ever going to become these, these like um, social creative knowledge and dexterity predominantly yeah. dexterity based but also jobs. caring also anything where, where yeah. you want human to human interaction for caring purposes because yeah. like I was saying however much these machines are simulating uh, a, a level of Caring is obviously simulated. You could argue yep. that a care worker who sees goes from one old person's house to another cleaning and so on is, in some sense, not deeply concerned about that person. The, yep. And they might say, "How are you?" And, uh, and in some sense, yeah. maybe they're being a little bit deceptive. Yeah. But that's something that we understand. We have some theories of mind for that, mm. but on both sides. But maybe that's but, not. But not with a machine. Yeah. With a machine, you know, there's 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 huge scope there for people yeah. to be really tricked by uh, assuming that this machine actually cares about them. So maybe in that way the best option is actually to make a cleaning robot that has no need for social interaction. Yeah. It does the cleaning, you know, it can do all sorts of yeah. And it may have a voice stuff. interface. It may have a voice interface in and out. Yeah, but it's not but it's, cheer you up. But it's not pretending to be something which it isn't. Yeah. Well, with that one, I think we're going to um, call it. Okay. So thank you very much, Rob. And um, we'll, uh, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me online, robwortham.com, and yep. all the other links flow from there. Yeah. Great, Twitter, etc. Yeah, stuff. Twitter's from there, so it's at Rob Wortham. Yep. Um, yeah, so it's all, it's all online. Cool, thanks very much for your time. Thank you.